So this evening, we are privileged to have our discipleship pastor, who's going to share the word to us, uh, with us, rather, uh, Bless the City Part 3. She's amazing. She's incredible. She's my friend, Jess. Looking forward to your word. Come on. Yeah, we missed that, hey? Let's see you next week. And Tando, you and I have just got to do an impromptu one right now. No, we don't. We don't. Good evening, everyone. So good to have you all here to hear me. I know that's why you came today. Awesome. As Siv said, we've been doing the Bless the City series, and there really are some amazing things happening through this. It is incredible what just a bit of intentionality does, right? When we set aside the five minutes to pray for somebody, the five minutes to give somebody a lift to church, that that time, that effort actually is honored by God, and He moves through that. And so often I think that we actually just aren't expecting God to do anything, but he is so faithful to his word. As we step out, he meets us there. And he changes people's lives and he moves through us. And it's an amazing thing. Our hub meeting this week, we actually ended up sharing testimonies like impromptu for about 15, 20 minutes as we began the meeting. Just because of what God was doing in us. As Marsha was meeting with somebody from Kuz's school. As Greg was changing the life of his hairdresser while she was changing his hair. And... Like, just things were happening um, in my connect group, who Kile is a part of. Yes, come on, represent. We had to commit to doing um, different things for the Bless the City series, and I had chosen to bless someone with words, but I didn't know who to bless with words. It sounds like that's an easy thing to do, but I wanted to bless somebody that wasn't saved, and I don't know a lot of people who are not saved. I spend all my time with you guys, and... I had to find somebody, and so what I did was I sent an SMS to a cousin of mine that I haven't seen in a long time. I'm almost estranged from her, um, and I thought, I'm just going to be bold. So I told her, this is what I believe God is saying to you, and this is what I feel, and I wasn't expecting her to respond because she is not a Christian and is not a fan of religion in general. But the next day, she replied by saying that she was so moved by the fact that I had thought to message her, and she was not in a good space, and she didn't know what to do about it, and she was just so grateful. So I was like, great, do you want to meet for coffee? So we're meeting for coffee this week, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to share with her the reason for the hope that I have. Just by taking that time to send a message, to be available, you have no idea what God will do as you just honor Him, right? And, and in every way, make the opportunity to bless people. Can we go to the next slide? These five missional practices um, that we are encouraging you to do, one every day, for the rest of the series, which is the next 14 days, we want to encourage you to keep doing them, right? To bless somebody with words, to listen to the Holy Spirit for someone, to serve someone, eat with someone, salt one, which stands for start a conversation, ask questions, listen, and tell the story. And we're encouraging you to do this because of the fact that this is, so often I think that we, you know, we have friends, but we don't quite know how to speak about Jesus, right, with our friendships. We're just like hoping that one day they'll say to us, why do you believe in Jesus? And then we can tell them why. But we don't quite know how to get there. And this is how, that as you begin to share with people um, by, by over food or as you begin to serve them, that, that people will say to you, wow, that is amazing. And that's your cue to go, this is why. I believe in Jesus, right? To use these opportunities to actually have gospel conversations. Expectation is a phrase that a lot of Christians use a lot of the time. Expectant on God, waiting for God to move. Um, and 
expectancy will determine, right, what we see, that what you're expecting so often is what you see. If you are expecting God to show up, then you'll be open to him moving through you. If you're expecting your friend to come over, then when you hear a knock on the door, right, then you go and answer the door because you're expecting somebody to be there. Being expectant, I love this definition, having or showing an excited feeling that something is about to happen, especially something pleasant and interesting. Synonyms, eager, excited, psyched. I feel like that's a 20th century one. Agog, waiting with bated breath, hopeful. We need to be expectant for God to move every single day. Not like at a crusade, not during a series, every single day being expectant for God to move. And being expectant for God to move also means we are expecting God to use us. <laughs> so when somebody says, I've had a rough day, if we're expectant, it's like, hey, that's my opportunity. Roger told us the story of a guy that he shared his, uh, you know, something with his faith with sort of while he was running. And the story started like this. I was running with these new people that, you know, I'm kind of new to the running crew. I'm starting to chat to people. And this one guy had emailed me the running times, saw my email signature that said Every Nation Church, Googled it, discovered that it was his people previously, and asked Roger about why the name changed from his people to Every Nation. And Roger's like, this is my cue. And so he starts telling this guy about the prophetic word that every nation is and what God is doing and what God is saying. And as Marsha so aptly said in our meeting, that door was open like this much. And Roger was like, yes, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. But it's because he was expecting God to do something. That doors don't have to be open as wide as we think they do for God to move. That if we are expecting God to use us, then we will see the opportunities we need to expect something to happen, not just somewhere, but through you, every day, with the people that you know. Siv opened the series for us speaking about um, going after the last sheep, the lost, not the last, the lost sheep, until you find it, until you find them. That having that heart for people is, I will stop at nothing until I find them and can bring them back to their father. And Pastor Simon shared last week about having a heart for the city. And if you haven't heard those sermons, then please go and get them from our website. They are worth listening to. Tonight, we are talking about the people that you know, that people you know matter to God. The friends, the family members, the colleagues, the neighbors that you see all the time, those people matter to God, and he wants to use you to change them. Can you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2? We are going to read together. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. This is Jesus that they're speaking about. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes, and the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus, I thank you that your word is powerful and true, Lord God, sharper than any double-edged sword, convicting us, Father, separating soul from spirit. And I pray that tonight, as we discuss your word, that you would convict us to love with compassion, Lord Jesus, to love with conviction that you will use us to change the lives of people around us. I pray, Father, that you would anoint this evening, that we would hear from you directly, Father. May I speak your words true, Lord God. May your anointing flow here. May we all respond to the mission that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to retell the story because I want you to understand some of the context of what is actually happening here. So if I was in the crowd when this happened, maybe like, you know, DFC side, this is how I would tell the story. Yo, you know that guy, Jesus so he was here, right? You know, you've seen him with his cousin John, like walking around. They do their thing. He was here. He came back home, and my friend was like, guy, we got to go see him because he's been saying some crazy stuff, and we're not quite sure, but, you know, we thought we'd try anyway. So we go to his house, and we're like listening there, but the people, there were so many. I couldn't even get, like, close. I just saw him there, but I could at least hear him, and I was like, ah, trying to listen. Then this guy's, like, pushing me from the back. You know, get out of the way. I'm trying to hear what this guy's saying because the stuff he was breaking down, yo, it was deep. And I'm listening to him, right? People are pushing me. I'm ignoring them. Next thing, fam, dust everywhere. <laughs> There's just dust coming. I even saw the lady of the house, like, in the kitchen, like, yo, looking up at the roof. Because the people, like, the sunlight's coming in now. They are making a hole in the roof. And this guy's coming in, and this guy looks, mm, I wouldn't let that guy in my house. He is like skinny and there was stuff on his bed and I don't know what was happening. Jesus had to move out the way because he was just coming on top of him. Jesus looks at this guy. He looks up at the roof and then he says, your sins are forgiven. I was like, Ish guy, who are you though? Who are you to say such a thing? What is happening here? Even the, the teachers were there and they were like, mm-hmm. What is this guy doing? They start looking at each other, mumble, mumble, mumble. I thought I should leave now before somebody starts picking up a stone. But then Jesus was like, no, I am the son of God. I can forgive this man's sins. Get up and walk. The guy got up and walked. I have never. So he starts coming past me. I was like, woohoo. Took his mat with all of his stuff on it, you know, because mm, that thing. And he starts walking out the house, and I could not believe it. I mean, there's something about this Jesus guy. That's the story. <laughs> I retold the story because I feel like we read the scriptures and we don't actually understand what's happening. That this, this, this what happened here, is crazy. It's crazy, right? That Jesus said that he forgives someone's sins was completely crazy at that time. And the fact that he proved it by healing them meant that nobody could argue with him. They were like, okay, there's something about you. You must be the son of God. They only admitted it when he died, but there was still something about that moment that changed people. And Jesus was in Capernaum, which is his hometown area. It's by Galilee. He would have grown up around there. And we know that it was difficult for him to be there. Later on, a few chapters later, it speaks about that, how a prophet is without honor in his own home. But he still did his thing. 
And he showed up and was present there because the people that he knows matter. And the people that you know matter. And God wants to intervene into their lives and change them. That's what the story is all about. These four men who were so committed to their friend getting to Jesus that they stopped at nothing to get him there. There are barriers that these men had to overcome, right? There was a crowd, tons of people. There were, the guy was paralyzed. They probably, that was probably their first barrier. Like, we have to get him there somehow. And once they got there, through the crowd, trying to get there, they still had to go up onto the roof and break through that. And there are barriers that we have with sharing our faith with the people that we know. Because it's not easy to start a conversation with somebody you know you're going to see tomorrow about Jesus. It's not an easy thing to do. And so we have to overcome those barriers. The first thing, though, that I think we need to do is actually figure out what we feel about the idea of sharing our faith. Where are you when it comes to evangelism? What is your attitude? Which one of these memes do you think best represents your attitude towards evangelism? Can you show the memes? Is it like one does not simply share their faith? Or is it like endless possibilities? Or is it they said this would be fun, though? What, what do you think your attitude is? This is my opinion of the people in the story, right? That the crowd was like, none of my business. Um, but we have to evaluate where we actually are at with evangelism because if you don't know what, what you honestly feel about it, you'll never be able to move forward with, with what you think about your faith and what you're able to share with people. And if you were in the story with the, the paralytic, who would you be in that story? Would you be somebody in the crowd who's just trying to hear Jesus for themselves and not worried about anybody else? Would you be the guy in the bed who needs Jesus? Would you be one of the friends determined to take their friend to Jesus? Would you be one of the Pharisees who doesn't believe what Jesus says? Where are you in that story? So the three barriers that we're going to speak about tonight, going back to that point, I'm going to speak about, um, sorry, not three barriers, the three aspects of bringing your friends to Jesus that we're going to speak about are forgiveness, faith, and fearlessness. Can you go to the next slide? Thank you. Jesus said to him, son, your sins are forgiven. After this whole encounter, isn't it interesting that after everything that these men went through to get their friend to Jesus for healing, what he said in response to that level of faith is, your sins are forgiven. That was the first thing that he said to them. A few years ago, I met a lady called Pretty. Um, she, about five years ago, actually, I brought this with me. This is something that Pretty made for me as a gift. If you can click, there's a picture on the screen. Um, and... I met Pretty at a petrol station, well, I didn't meet her at a petrol station, but I met her husband at a petrol station. We had come back from a mission trip, and we were just putting petrol, and I, you know, I was with Pastor Jonathan, and if you know Pastor Jonathan, then he prays for, like, every person that he meets. So Jonathan decided to pray for the petrol attendant once again, those five minutes to bless someone with words. Um, so he prayed for him. And this guy was saying how him and his wife were looking for a church. And so I lived the closest to them. And so I decided to help them find, find their way to church that Sunday. I met Pretty and I brought her to church. Um, her husband was working that day. And she started like responding to what Jesus was doing in her life and was interested in things. And so I invited her for a meal to my house, you know, to figure out what they need, how I could help them, where they were at. And as she started growing in her faith, she wanted to join a connect group. I was running a kids connect group at the time, but there was an adult connect group that happened at the same time. So I said to her, you can always just come with me and then you can attend the adult group and I'll just do the kids. And we would, so I'd fetch her every week. And she began to completely change. 
that she was transformed by the goodness of God and his word. And if I looked at her life then, I mean, there were issues that she had in her marriage. There were issues that she had in her work. There was a lot of stuff going on. But what she needed was not more advice. She didn't need more money. She needed her sins to be forgiven. Because the truth is that the problems that your friends and your family members have is that their sins are messing them up. It is sin that is the problem of the world. When God decided to fix the world, he didn't give us more money. He didn't become our economist. He, didn't, he forgave our sins because it is sin that results in brokenness and shame and separation. It is sin that messes up our relationships. It is sin that messes up our souls. Nothing else. And the people that you know matter because their sins are messing them up. They don't need more advice from you. They don't need you to just help them out in their work. They need forgiveness from their sins. If we understand the power of God's forgiveness, it will change what we are meeting, the, how we meet the needs of our friends. We're not just responding with being nice. We're not just responding by being there for them. We're saying, you know what? You need Jesus, fam. You need Jesus. There's nothing else that's going to help you. We have to... We have to actually expect that God will forgive sins. I think that that's why I don't often share my faith with other people because it's like, although that was my biggest problem, it's not their biggest problem, you know? Like, although Jesus changed me, I mean, you know, maybe he'll do that later for them, but right now they need something else. And it's, it's like I don't actually understand the weight of sin in their life. I don't understand that. But at the same time, I remember feeling the tension, and hopefully you remember this too, of trying to accept God's forgiveness because I was so aware of how I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his mercy. My sin is so real. But his forgiveness for that sin changed me. And his forgiveness for the sin in your friends and family lives will change them. And that's what needs to compel us. They need forgiveness. Before they need healing, they need forgiveness. The second point I want to speak about is fearlessness. Are any of you afraid of sharing your faith with people? That's me. And I'm the discipleship pastor. Bit of a problem. Might get fired after this. Fearlessness is, is all about um, overcoming barriers, right? It's when Jesus said to them, you know, that, well, when Jesus said that he saw their faith, that that, that is the fearlessness we're speaking about. And um, it says that they removed the roof above him, that they did everything that it took. And those roofs were, I mean, they had multiple layers. They had like a cementish kind of layer, a clay tiles layer, straw layer, wooden beams. I mean, they had multiple layers that these men had to work through in order to get there. There are barriers that we have to overcome. And those barriers are fear of rejection, fear of failure, and not knowing where to start. Fear of rejection is one of the main reasons why we don't open up conversations with people that we know about Jesus. Because we're almost convinced that even before we start, we're going to become that Jesus girl. And then, you know, they're not going to want to speak to us anymore because we're just talking about Jesus all the time. And eventually you're that family member at the family gatherings that nobody talks to. And because of that fear of rejection, we're just like, you know what? God will send somebody. Lord, send someone into this person's life. And he's like, I did. <laughs> I, when I first started working for the church, um, my extended family were not hugely happy about my decision to leave behind medicine. And 
I mean, my immediate family were great, and they still are great, but my extended family, I mean, I had a lot of pushback, had people telling me that I was wasting my gifts, wasting my life. It was literally something somebody said to me. I was like, really, for the church? But anyway, um, but one of my favorite conversations was with one of my cousins. He, he, he's the same age as me, and so he was trying to figure out, like, what's her career move? Like, what is she going to do to, like, get somewhere? So he's asking me, like, how long are you going to be in the church? So I'm like, I don't know, until Jesus says otherwise. And then he said, so is your goal to become the Pope? <laughs> it's like, no. That's a whole other kind of Christianity. Like, <laughs> they're very different. And it, I mean, those conversations were difficult, right? It was difficult to try and explain to people in my family that I care about why I'm following Jesus wholeheartedly, why I'm not holding back. It was, those are difficult conversations to have. But the people that are in my family matter more to God than my discomfort. And so I had to have those conversations with them because it's not about me. It's really not. And it's not about how great and safe and happy I am. It's about them. And it's about the fact that God really wants them to know that he loves them and that he's done everything for them. And my fear of rejection has to at some point be overcome by my conviction that God loves them. At some point, I've got to just decide, you know what, it's worth it. Even if I am rejected, even if that actually happens, even if I become that family member, that, that I have to accept that God is going to do something in their lives. I think that phrase expectancy comes up again here because it's almost this like idea that I'm not really expecting God to use me. If I was expecting God to use me, then when I have those conversations, at the end of the conversation when the person's like, please leave me alone forever, then I'm like, you know what, God did something. If I'm expecting God to move, then that's my attitude. But if I'm convinced that nothing's going to happen here, then I'll never even begin the conversations. So think about that. Have you had those conversations and why not? Is your fear of rejection greater than your belief that God is good? Roger this morning was preaching on the same uh, scripture and he spoke about how the fact that some of the things that hinder us from actually sharing our faith with other people is that we have good but not great relationships. That it's almost, you know those those relationships that are like, yes, how are you? Yes, it's good, good to see you. How's your job? Awesome. And then when they tell you, then you're like, oh, yes, that's what you do. You know, those relationships that are kind of, they're good, but they're not great. And so there's actually not enough relational capital there to share your faith with somebody. And with the people that we know, if we want them to experience Jesus, we have to invest in those relationships because we're not trustworthy to them otherwise. Relationships will determine how successful that, that, that conversation goes and what actually happens from that conversation. And I really want to encourage you that if there are people in your family or colleagues of yours that you want to see saved, spend time with them. Spend time with them. Not for the sake of just sharing the gospel, but for the sake of them knowing that you love them. Spend time with them. It will change the way that, that those conversations go. I told you about this cousin that asked me if I wanted to be the Pope. He actually um, had an amazing God encounter about two years after that conversation where he was at a church because there was a girl that he liked that was at church, um, probably the only reason that he went to church. And the pastor was preaching and he made an altar call. And so then he, was, he felt this conviction that he should respond to the altar call and he put up his hand to respond. And then they called him to the front and he came to the front and he was the only person that came. 
And so then he was like, oh, this is awkward, but I'm here now. Um, so he didn't really want to go, but he wasn't sure. But anyway, so the pastor was there and he said, can I go with you to the back to pray with you? So he went and prayed with them. And my cousin described how he just, the presence of God was so strong. Like his hands were out like this. And he said the, the guy was holding his arms and he was so grateful because he just wanted to fall the whole time. He couldn't stand up straight um, because of the presence that was in that room. But he was still a little skeptical. So he opened his eyes like halfway through the prayer to see what the pastor was doing. And the guy was like two meters away from him. He wasn't holding him at all. But he could feel somebody holding him, holding him up. And it changed him. It, it changed his view of God. Miracles and supernatural experiences will verify God to people. And that's what happened here. That, that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And that's a miracle that we can't always see. And so people didn't believe him. But when a physical miracle happened, it verified that this is the Son of God. Our expectancy has to not just overflow into us sharing our faith, but us believing that we will see miracles happening and that we are bold enough to pray for miracles in people's lives because we know God is going to do, do something through me. He's going to use me right now in this moment. I think that there's, there's an area that we have a church, as a church have come to where we expect miracles on a Sunday when somebody anointed prays. And we don't really expect them beyond that. And it says that signs and wonders shall follow those who believe. If you believe that you will see a sign and a wonder, then they'll happen. That your faith, that Jesus looked at their faith and that's what moved him. I would encourage you when you're praying for people, pray for miracles. Expect miracles to happen. That when somebody says to you, you know, I just... I don't know how to fix this relationship with my parents. That you say, you know what? God is going to do a miracle, and I'm going to pray for a miracle for you. And be bold about it, because when it happens, then you can say, that was Jesus. Claim it. Pray for people to get jobs, and not just that they'll feel better, but that miracles will be evident in your life and the lives of the friends and family that you have. Miracles will verify God to people. So that's fear of rejection. Fear of failure is the next point that I wanted to speak about. Um, Failure, I th yeah, failure is so, like, scary for us, right? Like, especially if you've had an experience <laughs> where you prayed for somebody to be healed and they still have crutches, like, three weeks later. Maybe that's not happened to any of you. That was very quiet. But it's happened to me a couple times. Um, and this fear that, you know, okay, sure, maybe I'll pray for somebody, but if God doesn't show up, then that's just awkward. Now I'm the, one, I'm the one who looks like an idiot, and God doesn't look real even more so. And so we're so afraid of this failure. The scripture that comes to mind is in Romans 8, which says, God will use all things to work together for the good of those who are loved by him and called according to his purpose. If you have a conversation with somebody that ends badly, God will use all things to work together for the good of those who loved by him. He will use those bad conversations to bring about his glory. He is faithful to his word. That everything that we, when we pray and we see God moving, then we're like, amen, hallelujah, Jesus. And then when we're praying for somebody else, we're like, woo. Suddenly the faith dries up. Why? Why is our expectancy so high in our lives and so low for the people that we care about? Don't you know that those are your father's children? Don't you know that? He loves them way more than you will ever love them. He called them before you were even created. God loves those people, and he will use all things to work together for his good. Those awkward moments, those bad conversations will be used by him 
because he wants them to know him. We cannot let a fear of failure stop us from praying for the people that we know, stop us from having a conversation for the hundredth time with this person that we know. He will use all things. He is good. And this is the thing about faith is that I feel like the people that you know, they, they can feel what your faith is really in. If your faith is really in God, then they'll feel it. But if your faith isn't, they'll feel that too. They will feel what your faith is in. Thank you. David Guzik is um, a Bible commentator, and he wrote about the scripture that these four men counted on Jesus healing their friend because it sure would have been a lot harder to bring him back through the roof than lowering him down. They counted on him walking out of there. How often do you start a conversation and count on that person walking out of there healed? We need to expect God to actually use us. The third point is not knowing how to start. Um, not knowing how to move a conversation from just a regular conversation to a this is who Jesus is conversation without being awkward and being like, hey, you have an apple. You know Eve and the apple? Yeah? <laughs> Pity about that, right? That we can't, like, we don't quite know how to get to those points in the conversation. And, I mean, bless those blessed practices. They're designed for that. They're designed to create those opportunities for you to kick open that door, even when it's open this much. But there are, there are other things that we can do. And the main thing is asking questions. Asking questions is such a useful thing to figure out what people actually think, where they're actually at. I don't know if you were here two weeks ago when Siv preached, but he shared a story about an Uber driver that he reached out to. And the conversation began with him asking a question. With all this money and technology, do you think we still need God? And that question was able to open a conversation up for him actually sharing what he thought. Because if somebody asks you a question like, hey, how are you? You generally ask a question back. I'm good. How are you? And that, that asking questions is such a useful tool for that. Um, the... This week, I was speaking to one of our pastors from our church in Botswana, and he was telling me about how um, there's this tool that we have in every nation called the God Test. It's, if you're a campus, you'll probably know it. It's 10 questions that are designed to, designed to lead somebody to a gospel conversation. He has memorized these questions because he doesn't do the God Test like a normal God Test conversation. He brings up those questions at random moments in conversation so that he, can, he just knows some good questions to ask. <laughs> to actually lead to that. And there is a God Test app if you want to download it for ideas about questions. It also has some good answers to questions that you may be asked that might be helpful for you. But asking questions is a really key way to knowing how to start a gospel conversation. My final point is on faith. Jesus saw their faith. And he responded with forgiveness and with healing. Your faith has to be seen. Your faith has to be seen by other people. If your faith is not strong enough to be seen, then it's going to be difficult for other people to say to you, what is your faith in? Because they can't even see that it's there. Our faith has to be seen by the people around us. I, I told you about Pretty, the woman that I met a few years ago. And, you know, during that time that we walked with her, I mean, I didn't even do that much. I was like 19 years old. I didn't know what to do. But I would just bring her to church or drop her off somewhere where I could, try and serve her in the ways that I could. But it was a difficult time. I mean, I had to, um, I was trying to help her to meet with another pastor because of the marital stuff that she, marriage issues that she was going through and the difficult space she was in, issues with her kids. 
But all I did in that time was try and carry what burdens I could of hers. Carrying other people's burdens is how faith is seen. That is how faith is seen. In the story, um, the, the faith of the men was seen in that they carried him to Jesus. And carrying other people's burdens is not an easy task. It's not, uh, here's an answer. I hope that you fi figure it out. You know, it, it's not throwing advice and a good idea somebody's way. It takes time and effort. But here's the thing about carrying people's burdens. When you carry people's burdens, you direct where they get their help from. That if they're carrying their burdens themselves, if you're not there to help them, then you can't dictate where they're getting their help from. But when you carry them, then you can lead them somewhere. You can take them to Jesus. You can take them to the source of hope and life that they need. Carrying burdens, the, the reassuring thing about it is that Jesus says that his burden is light, and so he will carry us in that way, that we're not just carrying it alone. But I do think that part of the reason that we don't carry people's burdens is because we almost like have this assumption that, you know, I'm getting to my purpose, Jesus, and I can't be distracted with your stuff now. Like, if I'm carrying other people, it's going to hinder me from achieving my purpose. I, I've got things to do, you know. And, and carrying other people's burdens is in addition to my purpose, which is just like a lie because of two things. There are two reasons why that, that's a lie. Number one, your primary purpose is to bring people to Jesus. Primary Above all else, no matter what sphere of life you are called into, you are meant in that sphere to bring people to Jesus. That that is what he created you for, to establish his kingdom here on earth. And that's what it means, that he rules in every sphere, in every way, over every heart. He cannot be king if there are not people who are following him. Right? He just can't. Well, here, he's king everywhere. And we need to bring people to Jesus in order to do that. The idea that... You know, if I'm too busy caring for people, then I'm going to miss my purpose. Also assumes that God is not good enough to open up the opportunities for you when you are doing his things. That it's like, you know what, God, I, I need to get busy here because I'm running out of time. Like, what if I'm caring for somebody and then my door opens and shuts behind me? It's, it's such a, mis a misappropriation of God's goodness. Such a misappropriation. If he is good to you. If he is good to the people that you are caring for, how much more will he establish you? It's a, you know, it says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We need to really live with this conviction that if I am caring for people, I am doing the, the ultimate thing that God has called me to do. And again, it goes back to, and I know we've preached on this before, but realizing that purpose, purpose is not a thing that you find. Purpose is who God has made you to be. And you will live that out in everything that you do. It is not a job description. You will never find a job description that is your purpose because that's so limited. Your purpose is so much more than that. And being able to bring people back to Jesus is one of the most glorious things you can ever do. And if you've ever done it before, then you know how amazing it is. Our whole lives should be lived like that. That no matter what I do, I'm looking for those children that I can say, I found your father. You need to come and meet him. He loves you and is looking for you. In conclusion, there are always going to be barriers to bringing people to Jesus. There always will be. There are going to be bad experiences that we've had that with, with people that we are convinced means we're disqualified. 
there are going to be moments that we have with people that are awkward and makes it difficult for us to have those conversations again. And those barriers, those barriers are, are, are always more big to us than they are to God, right? He's not afraid of those things because he doesn't see the conversation. He sees the plan. And we need to stop thinking about our fears and our concerns and our worries more than we're thinking about his kingdom. I saw in my own life how I was, you know, I was reaching out to people and then I got busy doing other stuff. And then it was like awkward to reach out to people who were sick of hearing from me. And so I was like, just pray for them, you know, until eventually even the prayers died down. And it was just me and Jesus. And all I was doing was trying to hear what he said to me. And then when I felt like I was stagnating in my faith, I was like, what's going on, Lord? Why are we not doing things now? And it's like, because I told you what to do 2,000 years ago and you've forgotten. Bringing people to Jesus is central to every part of his kingdom. And if you're wanting to grow in hearing his voice, if you're wanting to grow in your gifts and your calling and figuring out what your life is going to look like, then this is a part of it. This is a part of it. And it is the joy of the Lord is found in this thing. If you've been missing joy, try this. There is so much joy in this thing. I want to encourage you to every day this week, choose one of these things to just do that. Just do that. Eat with somebody. Serve with love. Pray for somebody. Bless them with words. Salt one. Share your testimony with somebody. Do one a day. Particularly this week, I want to encourage you to try and share a meal with somebody, to eat with someone. And to take that time of, of just um, having the meal to ask questions, listen to where they're at, see how you can guide them to Jesus. You will, you will be amazed by what God will do through you. You'll be amazed. We're going to close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are good. You are so good to us, Jesus. Father, remind us of what opportunity we have to be a part of establishing your kingdom here on earth. I pray that we would see things from your perspective. How the worries, the fears, the things that we're striving to achieve, all of those things are being cared for by you. And our job is to establish you here on earth. That you will care for all of our needs. How much more will you care for us as you care for the birds and the fish and, and the bees that everything that you do will show us how you care for us. I pray that we wouldn't be selfish with our faith, that we wouldn't be afraid of rejection, afraid of um, being, being left alone in this, Lord God. We wouldn't be afraid of failing in this regard, but that we would know that the people we know matter to you, that we'd be willing to go back to our homes, go back to our workplaces, go back to our neighborhoods without the same fear, but with an equal conviction, God is going to use me to change these people. I cannot stop sowing seeds in their lives because of fear. I have to continue. All things work together for the good of this person as God calls them out of darkness and into light. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would remind us. Remind us to bless with words. Remind us to listen to you. Remind us to eat with somebody, to serve with love, to salt one. And fill us with your boldness and your courage, Lord God. Fill us, Lord, that we would be a change and an impact in our spaces. Where you are, just receive from him. Just extend your hands or whatever you want to do to receive. But he is imparting and anointing upon you right now to reach other people. 
I pray, Father, that we would know that we can pray for miracles and we will see them. We will see them. You are a miracle-working God, and you are as good now as you have ever been, and we will see your miracles. We receive that grace, Lord God. Give us the words to say. Give us insight into where people are at. We don't want to settle for a life that is just about our problems. We want to live for you. We will never settle for less. We know there is always more in you, Jesus. I commit every person here to you in Jesus' name. Amen.